You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today, I'll be reading Cupcakes and Kittens, Chapters 1 and 2, written by Mandala Rose. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe, Coffee Shops and Cafes, Baker Dean Winchester, Reluctant Kitten Owner Dean Winchester, Cat Rescuer Castiel, Two-Person Love Triangle, Online Meeting, Online Flirting, Confidently by Dean, Openly Gay Castiel, Mentions of Past Canonical Character Death, Fluff and Angst, Pining, Slow Burn, Fraudage, Masturbation, Hand Kink, No kittens come to harm in this story. Cupcakes and Kittens Written by Mandala Rose Read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein Summary Dean Winchester is not a cat guy, but one soft-hearted Sasquatch brother and a mad dash to the pet store later, Dean somehow finds himself the sole caregiver for an abandoned baby kitten. It's a good thing that quirky pet store girl gave him the Twitter handle for her cat rescue buddy, CJ. Dean doesn't know about the kitten, but he sure as hell could use some rescuing right about now. Castiel Novak is not a baker, but one interfering best friend and some dismal Yelp reviews for his brother's coffee shop later, Castiel somehow finds himself standing in front of a cooktop in his very first baking class, his non-existent baking aspirations literally going up in smoke around him. It's a good thing his gorgeous, green-eyed classmate is there to rescue him. Chapter 1. 
Preheat the oven to 325 degrees Fahrenheit. Dean frowns at the smartphone clutched in his hand, the familiar clangs, shouts, and sizzles of the Harvell's Roadhouse kitchen on a Friday night carrying on behind him as he rereads the last few texts with his brother. The most recent message from Samantha the Teenage Bitch, sent five minutes ago, reads, So don't freak out. What did you do? Is my place okay? My fucking place better be okay, Sam. Did you try to cook? I told you to stay out of the fucking kitchen. Did you burn down my place? Sam? Sammy! When glaring at his screen for a solid 30 seconds does nothing to elicit a response from Sam, he finally huffs and slips the phone back into his pocket before washing his hands and rejoining Benny on the line, dropping the fries for his next order in the deep fryer on his way to grab two of Ellen's secret recipe beef patties so he can make the best double cheeseburger in a 200-mile radius. He just finished plating the order and is sliding it into the window with a bellowed, Order up! when he feels his phone buzz in his pocket. Wiping his hand on the towel hanging over his shoulder before stepping away from the line again, Dean breathes a sigh of relief when he finally reads Sam's message. Your place is fine, Dean. This is the exact opposite of not freaking out, by the way. If he weren't equal parts annoyed and relieved right now, he might be amused at the fact that he can practically see Sam's bitch face, probably bitch face number three if Dean had to guess, as he rereads his brother's last message. Hearing another order come in on the line, he quickly types out a response before returning the phone to his pocket and heading for the sink. No shit, Samantha. That's what people do when you tell them not to freak out. Are you ever going to tell me what I'm not supposed to be freaking out about? He does feel a bit calmer knowing his little brother hadn't managed to set his kitchen on fire in the ten and a half hours he's been unsupervised in Dean's home. Last time Sam visited for the weekend, he had tried to boil water for some mac and cheese, and Dean had come home to blaring smoke detectors and an entire kitchen that smelled like scorched noodles. His immediate fears assuaged, Dean doesn't have any more time to worry about Sam's mysterious and frustratingly vague texts as the dinner rush hits its peak. The next 90 minutes are the usual Friday night blur of the artery-clogging burgers and equally heart-stopping sides that make the roadhouse famous among the locals. It might just be greasy bar food, but the fries are hand-cut, the onion rings and fish are breaded in-house, and Ellen makes a meatloaf sandwich with a log of mozzarella inside the meatloaf. Order up, Dean calls, sliding two plates, one with a cheeseburger and onion rings, and the other holding a basket of fish and chips onto the waiting tray underneath the heat lamps above his grill. He grimaces as he realizes the last order he finished is still in the window. Meg! His shout cuts across the roadhouse's small kitchen. Get your goddamn food out of my window. Yeah, yeah, keep your shirt on, pretty boy. Meg slides the tray, holding a family of four's dinner out of the window, tossing Dean a saucy wink as she goes. Or don't. I sure as hell won't complain. Bite me, she-beast. Dean retorts, rolling his eyes at Meg's all-too-familiar flirting. Careful what you wish for, Dino. I'd eat you alive. Meg smirks and blows Dean a kiss on her way out of the kitchen. That I believe, fucking harpy. Dean mutters under his breath to the amused chuckle of Benny, the other line cook on tonight. Not that I don't appreciate the help, Cher. 
Benny starts with his Louisiana drawl. But ain't Sam visiting this weekend? Yeah, Dean answers, pulling his phone out of his pocket. He'd felt it buzz a while ago, but they've been too slammed for him to check it. He's at my place now. I couldn't leave you guys in the lurch with Roy calling out, though. Sorry about that, brother. You really did save my ass, but I sure hate to make you miss your visits with Sam. Eh, it's okay. Dean shrugs as he wipes down the prep counter by the grill. Knew I wasn't going to see much of him this weekend anyway. He really just needed a quiet place to study for finals. Not to mention the free laundry and food service. Dean adds with a fond eye roll. Sam goes to school in Omaha, which is less than a three-hour drive from Sioux Falls. But even so, he only makes it home about once a month, usually when he's out of clean underwear. Well, that should wrap up dinner rush for the evening. You might want to get out of here, though, before the bar crowd piles in. Benny advises as he chugs a glass of water and turns to make sure they've got plenty of wings, fries, and the rest of their most popular bar staples prepped and ready to soak up the alcohol Ellen's patrons will begin guzzling down in the next couple of hours. Ellen has Joe coming in to help her with the bar, and Ash is going to help me cover the kitchen. We're all good, he adds. That means get the hell out of here, Winchester. Ellen calls as she strides through the kitchen. And tell that brother of yours if he visits our neck of the woods without planting his ass at one of my tables again, he won't make it to finals. Yeah, I hear ya, Dean grins. I'm heading out soon. Pulling his stained white apron over his head, he tugs his phone from the pocket of his jeans again to check his waiting messages from Sam. What the hell? Dean stares at the picture of the tiny orange and white kitten. The little ball of fluff is curled up on a black welcome mat that looks suspiciously familiar. He messages Sam back, really hoping his brother hasn't done what Dean thinks he has. I know it might be the big internet thing right now, Sam, but in case you haven't noticed, I'm not really a cute cat video kind of guy. Cute, Dean. I found this little guy abandoned outside your door when I got back from the library. It was curled up on your welcome mat, crying its head off. With a half-exasperated, half-affectionate sigh at the tender-hearted child giant that is his baby brother, Dean pushes open the roadhouse's back door and heads out into the frigid February night, watching his breath form little white puffs in front of his face as he continues texting with Sam. Okay. It's calmed down a lot now, though. I gave it one of your old t-shirts to snuggle with. I don't know what to feed it, though. I think it might need kitten formula. Can you stop and get some on your way home? You brought it inside? Of course I did. I couldn't just let it freeze to death. It's a baby. His message is followed by a displeased emoji, its mouth a flat line. Huh. Bitch face number five has its own emoji. What'd you know? Smirking in spite of the sudden turn his night has taken, Dean types out his next desperate attempt to salvage his weekend. Can't we just take it to the animal shelter or something? It's almost nine. They're closed. Dean groans and presses the call button next to Sam's name as he slides behind the wheel of his beloved 1967 Chevy Impala, shifting his weight back and forth to limit the amount of ass contact he has with the freezing leather upholstery. They close? He asks as soon as he hears Sam pick up. 
Uh, yeah, Dean. They're an animal shelter, not a Denny's. I know that, he answers irritably. I was thinking more along the lines of a hospital. Don't the animals need someone taking care of them overnight or something? These animals aren't sick. They're just homeless. Animals are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves overnight. Unless, of course, they're tiny, helpless, abandoned babies. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, Hagrid. I'll get the kitten formula, but you better not let any more goddamn wildlife into my living room. And we're not keeping it. You better be finding somewhere for this thing to go tomorrow, or I'm going to boot its fuzzy little ass right back to the welcome mat. A kitten hardly qualifies as wildlife, Dean. And I'm already working on finding somewhere for it to go, although it probably wouldn't hurt you to have someone around here to talk to. Great. His brother is just the right age to combine prissy teenage sass with grown asshole unsolicited advice. Why'd he think it'd be a good idea for the kid to visit again? Sure. You know what the best part of talking to a cat would be? They don't talk back. Now start googling animal shelters, bitch. He barely hears Sam's answering, jerk, before he hangs up the phone and tosses it on the passenger seat with a smirk. Serve Sam right, thinking the two of them can take care of a baby kitten. There has to be someone else out there who's better prepared for this. In fact, Dean knows there is, and it's literally anyone else but him. Dean's just come off of a 12-hour shift. He smells like a goddamn grease trap, and he can feel the oily film that coats his skin from a day spent moving between a grill and a deep fryer. All in all, he's in a pretty piss-poor mood by the time he stumbles into the local pet store. As annoyed as he is, though, he still feels a sense of relief when he sees the neon open sign in the window. He's been worried the store would already be closed, but it looks like he made it just in time. Finding his way to the cat section at the back of the store via a helpful little road sign with colorful arrows, Dean scowls at the long stretch of cat food options. Why the hell are there so many? What the hell do cats even eat anyway? He picks up the nearest bag and reads the ingredients. Whole ground corn, soybean meal, chicken byproduct meal... Making a disgusted face, he quickly sets it back on the shelf and opts for a package that claims to be 100% grain-free and has a picture of a wild lynx on the front. Nodding approvingly, he reads the back of the package, which promises no soy or byproducts, whatever the fuck those are. Unlike the last bag, the first ingredient seems to be actual chicken. If he were a cat person, which he's not, this is what he'd feed his cat. Fuck that other shit. A loudspeaker chimes overhead, and a clearly exhausted employee says in her best, Get the fuck out of here before I start turning off the lights on your goddamn loitering asses, customer service voice. Attention customers, purrs and paws will be closing in five minutes. Please make your final selections and move towards the registers. Have a positively perfect evening. Startled back to action, Dean hastily replaces the lynx sporting bag of cat food and moves on down the aisle. All the bags he sees say either adult or senior. Almost to the end of the aisle, he spots a series of smaller bags labeled kitten chow. Eureka. Dean scoops up the nearest bag and is about to head to the front of the store when he pauses. Wait, Sam said 
kitten formula. Did that mean formula as in the recipe for kitten chow or formula like baby formula? Shit. He scans the aisle for something, anything, labeled kitten formula. Goddamn shaggy-haired flea bag better appreciate this, he grumbles under his breath. An elderly woman pushing an assortment of both wet and dry cat food stops to shoot him a dirty look on her way past. I'm talking about my brother, not the cat, Dean clarifies, but she just sniffs and makes her glare even more pointed. Dean scowls at her, and she moves on in a huff, casting disapproving glances back at him as she goes. He's considering the pros and cons of giving an octogenarian the finger when the overhead speaker dings again. Attention customers, purrs and paws is now closed. Please bring your items to the registers. God fucking damn it! Dean nearly shouts, eyes scouring the aisle even more frantically. Whoa, dude, you look a little stressed. Can I help you find something? Dean spins around to see a petite redhead dressed in a smock emblazoned with the pet store's logo, a pair of overlapping paw prints. Uh, sure, Dean says, rubbing the back of his neck sheepishly. Sorry about that. No problemo. I'm guessing you don't spend a lot of time in pet stores, Red chuckles. New pet owner? Uh, not exactly. Dean recounts the story of his bonehead brother taking in a kitten, as quickly as he can, to the chipper employee who is clearly not the one with loudspeaker privileges. Well, it's hard to know exactly what to give you without knowing the kitten's age, but take these. She stoops to the very bottom shelf and quickly snatches up a bottle of, Dean leans down to read the label, kitten milk replacer, and what looks to be a very tiny baby bottle. It's good of you to take the little thing in. A kitten that young could easily freeze to death overnight in these temperatures. The employee, Charlie, according to the name tag on her purple smock, shoves the items along with a couple of cans of wet food into Dean's arms. This'll do you for now. Just follow the directions on the back of the can. If the kitten does well with the formula but still seems hungry, it might be big enough for you to try mixing the formula in with some wet food. Dean nods along mutely, desperately hoping he'll remember her instructions by the time he finally makes it home. Somehow... The more he learns about how to care for this kitten, the more anxious he gets. Like I said, this will get you started, but if you're going to be fostering long-term, you need more supplies. A litter box, toys, a scratching post. Thanks, he cuts her off hurriedly. But I'm definitely not going to have it long-term. We're dropping it off at the shelter tomorrow. Charlie looks a little disappointed by the news, but she just nods and says, Well, then I think you're all set. Let's get you checked out. It's a testament to Dean's current levels of stress and exhaustion that he doesn't make a joke about that last sentence. Fortunately, Charlie does it for him. Bet you get checked out all the time, though, huh? She teases, elbowing him playfully. When Dean gapes at her, she laughs. What? I could tell you were thinking it. Definitely not hitting on you, by the way. Not that you aren't dreamy, but I totally bat for the home team. Despite the crazy turn his day has taken, Dean huffs a laugh at that. Thanks again, he says sincerely. You've been a lifesaver. Glad to help, the redhead assures him as they reach the checkout lanes. She stares at him a moment before stepping to the nearest empty register. I know you're only planning on having it for the night, but here. 
Pressing a button to unroll a stretch of blank receipt paper from the register, she pulls a pen out of her purse and paws apron and scribbles something down. I don't actually know much about taking care of newborn kittens. I'm more of a reptile girl. But my buddy volunteers part-time with a cat rescue. He should be able to help you out if you have any questions. Just send him a message on Twitter. Setting his armful of cat nourishment on the conveyor belt, Dean takes the offered slip of paper from the smiling woman and glances down at the name, at CJ Angel Rescue. CJ, huh? That's him. Just shoot him a message if you get stuck. He'll know what to do. And if you do end up needing anything else from my humble kingdom of pet food and supplies, just ask for Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Really, again. Dean says earnestly as the sour-faced teenage cashier rings up his items, clearly annoyed that he's still there ten minutes past closing. Dean shoots her an apologetic smile and offers Charlie a grateful two-finger salute as he heads back out into the cold. Hey, Dean, Sam greets as Dean opens his front door. Did you get the formula? Formula, wet food, dry food, I got a feline smorgasbord here. Dean sets the plastic purrs and paws bag on the round four-seater table in his small eat-in kitchen before walking back into the living room and over to where Sam is seated on the couch, one of Dean's older bathroom towels spread out across his lap. A plaintive mewling drifts up from the folded towel, and Sam lifts the top layer of blue terry cloth to reveal the same tiny orange and white ball of fur Dean had seen on his phone screen a few hours ago. The kitten looks significantly cozier now, though that doesn't stop its complaining. An orange face streaked with white along the nose and eyes stares up at Dean with dark blue eyes. Nestled next to the kitten is what looks to be one of Sam's white gym socks, knotted, closed, and filled with something. What's that? Dean asks, gesturing at the sock. You trying to gas the poor thing? No, Dean. Sam answers, accompanying his response with the nearly compulsory teenage eye roll. Dean has been hoping he'd outgrow that once he went to college, but apparently petulant sass is a core part of his brother's personality. Lucky Dean. It's a rice-filled sock. I did a little research while you were gone and found a ton of websites on how to care for abandoned kittens. And the sock? Oh yeah, so get this. Sam starts with that nerdy baby brother glow Dean knows so well. He sighs and leans a hip against the sofa, settling in for what is likely to be a long-winded explanation. Apparently kittens less than four weeks old can't regulate their own body temperature. That's why they spend so much time cuddled up with the mama cat. This little one, oh, a little girl by the way, not guy, looks to be about four or five weeks old based on the pictures I found. But even then they still need a heat source nearby. It also helps with their eating and digestion. The website said it was dangerous to feed a kitten while they're really cold and recommended heating up a rice-filled sock in a microwave to help them keep warm. So, four weeks old, what's that mean? Does it still need the kitten formula, or did I make an ass out of myself at the pet store for nothing? She's still going to need to be bottle-fed for a little while longer, I think. But the good news is, she went to the bathroom a little while ago, so at least we know she's old enough to eliminate on her own. Dean blinks. Uh, excuse me? Did you just say at least it can eliminate on its own? Are you telling me this thing is so fragile it can't even take a dump without help? What the fuck, Sam? 
This thing is a living creature, Dean, Sam chides with a frown. A baby. And like I said, she can take a dump on her own, so it doesn't matter anyway. Okay, fine. So it can shit on its own, but it can't eat on its own. How do we feed it? Well, you got the formula, right? Did you get a bottle? Retrieving the bag from the table, Dean rummages through it before triumphantly pulling out a small plastic bottle with a collection of rubber nipples sealed next to it in the packaging. Bottle. Check. Then I guess you just follow the directions on the formula container. You have to make sure to warm it up a little, but not too hot, just like for a human baby. Yeah, yeah, the whole squirt the milk on your wrist thing. I've seen three men in a baby, thank you very much. Uh, right. And look, I queued up a YouTube video for you, too. It explains all about how to bottle feed a kitten. Wait, what do you mean you queued up a YouTube video for me? This is your project, Snow White. Where the hell do you think you're going? Sam is carefully nestling the towel into one of the boxes Dean recognizes as having stored some of the crap Sam didn't want to haul to his dorm room with him, cooing at the still-crying kitten as he does so. Um, I kind of made plans with Kevin and Channing, remember? Yeah, but that was before you decided to turn my home into a frickin' wildlife preserve. Sam sighs. It's a kitten, Dean. Not a Siberian tiger. You'll be fine. Come on, please. Kevin was out of the country with his mom for my entire winter break. I haven't seen him since Thanksgiving, and he works all day tomorrow. Advanced placement Kevin? Still can't believe that nerd didn't graduate a year early. Isn't his mom already filling out his med school applications? He is graduating a year early. He should only be a junior this year. Oh. Glancing back and forth between Sam's puppy eyes and the kitten, who has temporarily stopped crying as Sam scratches it under the chin, Dean finally caves with a deep sigh and a hand rubbing at his tired eyelids. Fine. Go hang out with the baby genius and his girlfriend. But this thing is out of here tomorrow, Sam. I mean it. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it, really. Yeah, yeah, get out of here. Dean grumbles, but Sam is already pulling on his coat and boots. Minutes later, he's headed out the door. Seeing Dean staring at the meowing box with a disgruntled expression, Sam hesitates, his hand on the doorknob. Good luck with the kitten. Are you sure you'll be okay? I kept you alive, didn't I? Dean grumbles. A kitten can't be any more difficult than a baby moose. Besides, the pet store girl gave me the info for some cat rescue dude. That's perfect, Sam beams. Maybe he'll be able to take the kitten or find somebody else to foster her. For your sake, I hope so. Now get out of here before I change my mind. Going! Sam squeaks, clearly not wanting to risk Dean following through on his threat. Not that he would. He may gripe about it, but Dean's actually relieved to see his little brother acting like an actual kid for a change. Sam spends way too much time with his nose stuck in his books. Some socialization would be good for him, even if it is with the only other two people he knows who see even less sunlight than his brother. Just before the door closes, Sam sticks his head back in. Oh, and don't forget to burp the kitten after you feed her. Burp the kitten? Dean asks aloud, looking accusingly at the ball of fluff trying to claw its way out of the box at his feet. <coughs> Answers the kitten. Yeah, I hear ya. Dean tells the box. Squatting down next to it, he locks eyes with the orange fuzzball. Look, I don't like cats, and cats don't like me. Well, cats don't like anything. Dean concedes. But I reckon you and I can get along for one night. 
The kitten scrabbles fruitlessly at the cardboard walls, seeming to reach for Dean. Dean hesitates for a moment before reaching into the box and scooping up the kitten. Holding it up in front of his face, he speaks to it seriously. I'll make you a deal. I'll let you out of the box, but you gotta promise not to eliminate on me or anything cloth-covered. Capiche? Taking that for agreement, Dean cradles the kitten carefully against his chest one-handed as he uses the other to pick up the bottle and the pet store bag. Heading into the kitchen, he sets both on the countertop next to the sink before looking down at the kitten. All right, fuzzball, I gotta set you down for a minute so I can get your dinner ready. Dean sets the kitten on the laminate countertop, where it stands splay-legged, seemingly frozen in place as it begins bawling even more determinedly than before. Hey, hey, shh, it's okay. Quickly scooping up the frightened animal, he holds it to his chest again. Okay, I take it you didn't like that. After a moment's consideration, he walks back to the living room, grabbing the towel and the still warm rice sock from the box with his free hand. Returning to the kitchen, he places both on the countertop, scrunching the bunched-up towel into a sort of nest around the makeshift heating pad. Carefully disengaging the kitten's tiny claws from his t-shirt, he sets it down in the nest where it gives a single curious mule before snuggling into the rice sock. With a sigh of relief, Dean makes quick work of washing the little bottle and one of the nipples with warm water and soap before grabbing the container of formula and reading the directions. One part kitten milk replacer to two parts warm water, he reads, wondering how much one part should be. Looking at the size of the bottle, he decides it can't be too much and pulls a teaspoon out of the small jar of measuring spoons next to the oven. Grabbing a clean coffee mug, he dumps one spoonful of the powdered formula in before adding two teaspoons of warm water. Stirring the formula carefully, he makes sure all the lumps are gone before pouring it into the bottle and, yes, squirting a little on his wrist to make sure it's not too hot for the kitten's mouth. Of course, it would probably be helpful if he had any idea how hot is too hot for a kitten. God damn it, Sam. Still cursing his brother in his head, he scoops up the combination of towel, sock, and kitten from the countertop and marches them all back to the sofa where he sits, much like Sam had, with the kitten resting on his towel-covered lap. Feeling strangely nervous, he stares at the kitten in his lap. Right. He can do this. He's about to offer the kitten the bottle when he sees the laptop Sam left open on the coffee table. Deciding that getting some bottle-feeding pointers couldn't possibly hurt, Dean clicks play on the video. Eight minutes later, the kitten is mewing impatiently, and Dean feels somehow even more nervous than he did before. Swallowing down his nerves, he cradles the kitten in the same football-style hold he had seen in the video, offering the bottle with his other hand. Okay, you. Chow time. Carefully keeping the bottle tipped up so that no air gets into the nipple, Dean rubs the latex against the kitten's mouth. The kitten laps greedily at the drop of formula that seeps out against his lips before chewing at the nipple. Despite its apparent eagerness, the kitten doesn't latch onto the nipple and suck the way the kittens in the video had. Dean tries repositioning both kitten and bottle several times 
but that only results in mewled complaints from his furry companion. What's wrong, little one? he asks. I know this stuff probably doesn't taste as good as the real thing, but you gotta eat, buddy. After several more minutes, the kitten begins wriggling fiercely, both its frustration and Dean's growing. Dean finally gives up, setting the bottle down and frowning at the feline in his lap until he remembers the slip of receipt paper currently sitting in his coat pocket. Right. The rescue guy. What was his handle again? Retrieving the paper with the animal rescue guy's information from the hook by the door, Dean pulls his phone out of his pocket and thumbs open Twitter, doing a quick search for at CJ Angel Rescue. He fires off a DM to the dude, explaining his situation. Hi, CJ. I hope you can help me. I found a baby kitten abandoned on my doorstep, and it was too cold to let it stay outside. Got it warmed up and everything, but now it won't eat. The girl at the pet store gave me your info and said you could help. Any tips? D. Pacing anxiously around his living room, Kitten tucked protectively against his chest. Dean hopes this guy is as addicted to social media as most other people he knows, and will see his message soon. His worries end up being for nothing, though. It's only a couple of minutes before his phone buzzes with a response. Hello, Dee. I will certainly try to help you. First, what are you feeding the kitten? Kittens can't eat cow's milk or any human milk replacements. Depending on the kitten's age, it will either need wet cat food, a special kitten formula, or a mixture of both. Dean quickly explains that he has all of those options on hand. After having Dean wash his hands and confirm the kitten's age by feeling inside of its mouth to make sure its molars haven't come in, apparently that would have been a sign that it may have already weaned and need solid food, CJ runs him through the same series of questions and steps Sam had. Warming up the kitten, apparently being too cold keeps the kitten from swallowing properly, making sure it has a heat source, and making sure the formula isn't too hot or too cold. Look, dude, Goldilocks here has her formula just right. She just won't take it. She chews on the bottle like she wants it, but she won't drink. I can tell you're concerned, Dee, but try to stay calm. The more agitated you become, the more agitated she'll get. Dean cringes. CJ is right. Freaking out isn't going to get the kitten to eat. Sighing, he forces himself to stop pacing and flops back down on the couch. Sorry. I just haven't ever taken care of something this tiny. It's kind of freaking me out. You're doing a great job so far. From what you told me, you've done everything right and you've certainly done much better than many first-time rescuers I've spoken with. Dean feels himself warm at the praise, even if it is unwarranted. He only knew to do most of that stuff because Sam told him to. He's sure, had he been completely on his own, the whole thing would have been a much bigger shit show. So why won't she eat, then? Drinking from a bottle is an entirely different skill than nursing from her mother, and it's one she's never done before. It sounds like she's just learning. I can give you some tips to hopefully make it easier on both of you, though. Dean quickly follows CJ's suggestions, wrapping the kitten in the towel like a baby burrito to calm her squirming and positioning the bottle over top of the rice sock so it's almost like she's nursing from a warm body instead of a random nipple appearing from nowhere. As much sense as CJ's ideas make, Dean's still shocked when they actually work 
and the kitten stays calm and settled long enough to latch onto the bottle and begin sucking down the formula. Whoa, easy there, tiger, he chuckles, making sure to keep adjusting the angle of the bottle so that the chugging kitten doesn't guzzle a bellyful of air with her formula. Both CJ and Sam's video had warned about that multiple times. When the kitten finally slows in its suckling, Dean eases the bottle down, scratching behind a tiny orange ear. Better? he asks the sleepy kitten as she rubs a paw over her own face, wiping at the residual formula there. Reaching for his phone, Dean types out a jubilant and relieved message to the cat guy. Success, dude. She downed almost the whole bottle. What now? Congratulations, D. Now you need to burp her. Hold her with her tummy resting against your shoulder and pat her back firmly until she burps. Oh, right. Sam had mentioned the burping. Holding the tiny kitten at eye level, Dean tilts his head to catch sleepy blue eyes with his. All right, you. Time to burp. Better out than in and all that, but do me a favor and don't be spewing any of that formula back at me, okay? The kitten licks her nose. Right. With a sigh and a brief thought that this is not at all how he saw his night, or any night ever, going, Dean rests the kitten against his shoulder as CJ instructed. After only about a minute of firm petting, he hears a small, high-pitched bubble noise that he assumes must be a kitten burp. Well, that's the most adorable burp I've ever heard, he tells the kitten as she proceeds to snuggle into his neck. Definitely cuter than Sam's Sasquatch belches. One hand holding the kitten in position against his neck, Dean carries the mostly empty bottle back into the kitchen. It's a bit tricky unscrewing the lid and rinsing everything out one-handed, but he manages, unwilling to disrupt the now-purring furball. He figures the poor thing has earned a little comfort after being out in the cold all day and then being made to wait so long for her dinner. He sighs again when he moves to clean up the formula container and measuring spoon on the table, just now spotting the printed flyer that Sam had left there, advertising a beginner's baking class. This is an old argument between them. Sure, Dean may love baking, and is maybe even pretty good at it judging by the reactions of anyone who's tried his caramel apple strudel or chocolate raspberry tarts, but turning a hobby into a career that can actually pay his bills is easier said than done, no matter what the flyer in front of him is advertising. Kitten feeding mess mostly cleaned up, Dean decides to shoot one more message off to CJ before calling it a night. Angling his phone so he can get a photo of the kitten's face where she's resting in the crook of his neck is difficult, but manageable, even though all you can really see is a white face surrounded by orange fur and a bit of Dean's neck and ear. He sends it to CJ anyway, along with a message. Thanks for all your help, man. This little one says thanks, too. You are both very welcome. She looks very comfortable there. Do you have somewhere for her to sleep? Dean explains the box and rice sock arrangement to CJ, who approves. She's probably never spent the night away from her mother and littermates before. She might cry in the middle of the night simply because of that. Sleeping in the same room as you might help. Thanks, man. I'll put her box in my room. And thanks again. 
You really are an angel. Have a good night. Good night, Dee. After snuggling the sleeping kitten into the box next to her newly rewarmed rice sock, Dean showers off the day's grease and sweat, happy to no longer smell like old french fries and onions. True to CJ's prediction, the kitten does indeed wake up crying in the middle of the night. Dropping his hand into the box positioned next to the bed, Dean scratches the mewling kitten's head and belly until she falls back asleep, purring once more with her chin resting on two of his fingers. It would almost be cute, if he were a cat person. Chapter 2. Mix the dry ingredients and set aside for later. Hey, Cassie. How goes it? Castiel looks up from his smartphone as Gabriel enters the sweet bean, strolling into the coffee shop he owns and in theory operates, hours after opening. I thought you were opening today. Castiel asks with a raise of his eyebrow. You do know we open at six. I'd assume, since you're the one who set the hours. Of course, Gabriel agrees easily, sauntering around the corner and beginning to prepare himself one of the barely drinkable, sugar-loaded lattes he favors. But that's what I hired you for, baby bro. Why would I haul myself out of bed to be here at the ass-crack of dawn when I have a fancy new store manager for that? Castiel narrows his eyes, but can't disagree. He does, however, resolve to be extra noisy in the future when he gets himself ready for work in the mornings, seeing as he's currently staying in Gabriel's apartment. Yes, well, speaking as your store manager, your lackluster work ethic aside, we have a problem. That you're a grumpy asshole in the mornings? Gabe asks as he retreats back to the customer side of the counter before licking the caramel drizzle that has overflowed onto the outside rim of his paper cup. At least his brother has the decency to obey basic health code regulations, even if he can't be bothered to show up to his own place of business on time. Sighing, Castiel reminds himself that Gabriel is doing him a favor by giving him a job here. Even if the man's books are a mess, his filing non-existent, and his fairly popular coffee shop about three months from going under from poor management alone. No, Gabe. The problem is our Yelp reviews. Have you seen these? He waves his phone in Gabe's face, the familiar red Yelp logo at the top of the screen. Gabe groans, dragging a hand down his face dramatically. Oh no, who showed you Yelp? Wait, why am I even asking? Charlie! Gabe shouts towards the back of the store. A moment later, a bright red head of hair bobs into view down the hallway leading to the kitchen and office. What's shaking, boss man? Coat and ever-present laptop in hand, Charlie bounces over to the counter. She only comes in once or twice a week, since her primary job is to run their website and help with their digital organization. Mainly, Charlie makes sure Gabe hasn't screwed up their ordering or payroll too badly though those responsibilities are slowly being handed over to Castiel, so Charlie can focus more on running their digital advertising. 
She's trying to build a social media presence for the shop, gleefully running Twitter and Instagram accounts that showcase artistic pictures of their coffee drinks while making playful, sarcastic jabs about everything from politics to one of every coffee shop's biggest competitors, Keurig. Why did you show Cassie Yelp? Gabriel asks plaintively. Charlie just shrugs. He asked about online reviews. Yes, I did, Castiel cuts in. As store manager, I have a vested interest in the feedback of our clientele, as should you, the owner. And like I said before, we have a problem. Holding up his phone, he starts to read one of their most recent reviews. Three stars. This place has five-star coffee, but one-star bagels. Too bad, because I really do like their iced mocha. That's one review, Gabriel argues, crossing his arms in front of his chest defensively. Castiel raises an eyebrow. This next one is a little less kind, he continues. If I want overpriced frozen pastries, I'll buy a box of toaster strudels and call it a day. Looking at Gabriel, he asks pointedly, I thought you said that no one will be able to tell they're frozen. Gabe shifts guiltily where he's seated on one of the bar-height stools at the end of the counter. And here's my personal favorite. Castiel reads on, Awesome coffee. Scones taste like ass. With a hefty sigh, Gabe's head thuds down onto the counter. They're right. The scones do taste like ass. He mumbles into his folded arms. Gabriel, you have a full industrial kitchen in the back which is calculated into the astronomical rent you pay for this place. You are underutilizing your available resources and losing money in both rent and sales because of it. But I can't afford to hire a baker, Cassie. I can only afford you because you're doubling as manager and barista, and that ruby chick quit on me with no notice. Climbing onto the stool next to Gabe's, Charlie opens her laptop on the counter. So don't, she says, eyes focused on her screen as she types furiously. Smiling triumphantly a moment later, she turns the computer sideways to face both Gabe and Castiel. Just train someone who's already in-house. On the screen is an ad for Baking 101. Learn the basics of professional baking with local pastry chef Missouri Mosley suitable for novice or experienced home bakers who are looking to refine their skills or even turn their hobby into a thriving career. That's not a bad idea, Bradbury, Gabe says, voice praising, before turning to look meaningfully at Castiel. And oh look, a volunteer. Me? Castiel asks in alarm. Why me? I can barely boil water. Hey, it was your idea. I was perfectly happy just serving up defrosted muffins and ass scones before you came along with your glass-shattering Yelp reviews, Gabe argues. Cass huffs, noting the fact that, per usual, even Gabe is avoiding their bakery display case, despite the latte in his hand. The fact that his carb-loving brother won't even eat the fudge brownies on display is a true testament to just how dire their dessert situation really is. Look, Charlie cajoles, you can at least learn the basics. And hey, 
I bet you'll even get to taste test each other's stuff. Hmm, maybe I should be the one to sign up after all, Gabe says musingly, eyes lighting up at the thought of consuming all that sugar. No, dummy, Charlie rolls her eyes. What I mean is, this class could be full of amateur bakers who are looking to turn their hobby into a career, she quotes from the website. If one of them can actually bake and is just starting out, they might be willing to work here for barista pay. We could advertise their baking and let them use the kitchen for outside baking and catering jobs to supplement their wages. Everyone wins. That's an even better idea, Charlie, Castiel says approvingly. Let's hope you're right. Otherwise, anal-flavored pastries are going to be the least of our concerns when I burn the building down. Way to look on the bright side, bro, Gabe says with a grin, before taking a sip of his latte abomination and heading back into the office. Castiel grimaces and hopes that his well-meaning brother doesn't manage to do too much damage running his business, while not under the direct supervision of either himself or Charlie. Gabe means well. Castiel knows that he does. And his motivations when he bought the failing coffee shop were pure. He'd been coming to this shop for years when one of the owners became ill, his husband struggling to keep the place afloat on his own. In the end, Cesar and Jesse had decided to retire to Arizona, hoping the warm, dry desert air would be better for Jesse's health after having suffered multiple battles with pneumonia during the harsh Kansas winters. They were considering just closing the place down, putting their small but devoted staff out of jobs when Gabe had offered to buy out their lease with the same kind of impulsivity most people limit to buying candy bars while in the supermarket checkout line. Since then, Gabe had been struggling to keep the place out of the red. He'd introduced a new menu of coffee drinks, which, based on the reviews, has been largely successful but the switch from Cesar's homemade baked goods to frozen ones has not been welcomed by their once-loyal customer base. This idea of Charlie's may be their last chance to turn things around before having to sell or close shop for good. So, starts Charlie with faux casualness, how was your night last night? Anything interesting happen? If you mean, did the guy you apparently handed out my information to in the store contact me, Yes, he did. Castiel answers with a frown. Charlie, you know I haven't volunteered with the animal rescue in months. Not since everything happened and I moved in with Gabe. Why did you give him that name? It's lucky I even saw the notification. The poor guy needed help, dude. He was clearly out of his depth. Seriously, I thought he was going to have a meltdown right there in the middle of the pet food aisle. Castiel finds himself fighting a small smile when he remembers Dee's somewhat frantic messages from the night before. He has a feeling Charlie isn't exaggerating in the slightest. Besides, she continues with the toss of her shoulder-length ginger hair, if you'd seen him, you wouldn't be complaining right now. Dude's almost pretty enough for me. Well, that's irrelevant since I won't be seeing him. I helped him survive his first night of kitten-fostering Charlie. That's not exactly a prelude to a first date. Why not? Charlie argues, pushing aside her laptop to rest her elbows on the counter, propping up her chin with her hands. You should tell him that you need to come over and check on the kitten. You know, for its health. 
Castiel rolls his eyes. I can't do that. This guy seems to be as private online as I am. There's no name anywhere on his profile. The only pictures are of a car, and he signed his message D. That doesn't give the impression he'd welcome attempts to pry into his real life. Charlie sighs. Fair point. Well, maybe he can come back to the pet store and I can put in a good word for you. Please don't. Whoever he is, I doubt he would appreciate the interference any more than I do. Castiel answers bluntly. Undeterred, Charlie just smirks as she packs up her laptop and makes her way toward the exit. You do appreciate me. You just don't know it yet. She calls as she pushes open the door to the coffee shop, the small bell at the top of the doorway jingling merrily as she heads out into the bitter cold. Shaking his head, Castiel pulls out his phone. Despite trying to deter Charlie's meddling, he does still intend to check in with Dee this morning to see how the kitten's night went. The picture of the sleeping kitten immediately draws his attention as he opens his message history with at shotgun shuts his cake hole. A little ball of orange and white fluff curled up on what looks to be a very muscular shoulder and snuggled against a lean stretch of lightly tanned neck. Charlie's comment about how pretty the mystery D is, and Castiel's absolutely not going to acknowledge the potential euphemism there, has him focusing on the muscles evident under that black t-shirt just a little more than he might allow himself to otherwise. He can see just a trace of a five o'clock shadow where Dee's neck meets his ear behind the orange fluff filling up most of the picture and imagines it might lead to a strong, scruff-covered jawline. His hair looks to be a light brown, significantly lighter than Castiel's own dark auburn, but still too dark to be rightfully called blonde. Rolling his eyes at his own ridiculousness, Castiel scrolls on past the picture and starts a new message. Good morning, Dee. I just wanted to check in and see how the kitten's night went. I hope that's okay. Dee's response comes quickly, and Castiel tries not to be pleased by that. Hey, CJ. No worries, man. Of course it's okay. Night went pretty well. You were right. She did wake up and cry a bit but she settled right back down when I started petting her. Chuckling to himself, Castiel hopes Dee doesn't have an issue with cat hair, because he can already tell it's only a matter of time before this kitten has taken over his bed. I'm glad to hear it. If she does well with her formula this morning, you can try mixing a little with some wet cat food and offering it to her. She should be checked out by a vet in the next couple of days, though, to confirm her age make sure she's healthy, and get her immunization schedule set up. Dude, I don't know about that. I mean, the wet food thing, yeah, I can do that. But the other stuff? I wasn't really planning on having her that long. I'm not much of a pet person. I was planning to take her to the animal shelter later today. Castiel frowns as he reads Dee's newest message. He has a feeling Dee doesn't realize what being dropped off at the animal shelter could mean for his little charge. If so, and if he were okay with that, he surely wouldn't have put so much effort into caring for her. If you choose to do that, I can't stop you. But I do hope you'll reconsider, Dee. Animal shelters don't have the staff or space to care for nursing kittens, 
and they can't adopt them out. If you can at least wait until she's fully weaned, she'll have a much better chance. What are you saying? What's going to happen if I take her there now? He sighs. Apparently the man is going to make Castiel spell it out for him. They have limited resources, D, and we don't have any no-kill shelters in the area. There. That's as delicately as he can phrase it. D's response is immediate. What? Are you saying they'll put her down? She's a fucking kitten, dude. A baby! I know. But unfortunately, the number of feral or abandoned cats having kittens far outstrips the resources available to care for them. If someone at the shelter knows of anyone willing to privately foster, they'll try to place them there. But otherwise... Castiel looks sadly at his screen. This isn't a pleasant part of animal rescue, knowing that no matter how many cats and kittens rescuers and fosterers help, there are still going to be many they can't. It's also one Castiel feels exceptionally guilty about, given his current circumstances. Dude, I feel like that little girl in Charlotte's Web. This blows. You're a cat guy, right? Can't you take her? You're way better equipped to take care of her than I am, man. He sighs again, though he's not surprised by Dee's question. Unfortunately, despite being a cat guy, my current living arrangement precludes pet ownership. Lease doesn't allow it? Thanks to the two orders he has to take and prepare, it's several minutes before Castiel can answer Dee's question. He prepares the orders as quickly as he can, while still being careful to make the finished products look as neat and appetizing as possible. A little extra artistic touch can go a long way toward earning return business, and he thinks his latte art is definitely showing improvement. The other day, he actually made a heart that looked like a heart, and not the head of a deformed penis, as Gabe so helpfully pointed out with his first several attempts. Finally, he bids both customers a good day, and retrieves his phone from where he'd stashed it beneath the register. Not exactly. I'm staying with my brother for the time being, and he's allergic. Oh man, that must suck. Did you have cats before you lived with him? I was fostering a litter of kittens, actually, but was able to place them all in permanent homes, or with other foster homes, when I had to move out of my old apartment. So how many cats would you have had now, if it was up to you? Twelve? Fourteen? D follows his teasing message with a winking emoji, which Castiel glowers at. Of course, Castiel thinks as he rolls his eyes. The crazy cat lady jokes. Why is it that cat enthusiasts must endure these kind of assumptions? If someone says they like dogs, no one ever immediately assumes there's some kind of lonely, dog-pack-owning hermit in a bathrobe. I'm not some stereotypical crazy cat person, D. But yes, I would like to have a cat. Maybe two. But then your brother couldn't come visit. Hence the appeal. A moment later, a row of three laughing emojis pop up on his screen. Biting his lip, Castiel feels his cheeks warming at D's response to his joke. He's glad that neither his brother nor Charlie are around to ask him what's making him blush like this. Instead, the only audience he has is Linda Tran, one of Gabe's employees, who predates his ownership of the sweet bean. 
She's come from the kitchen with their newest batch of freshly defrosted pastries, which look even less appetizing to Castiel now that he's seen their dismal Yelp reviews. Thanks, Linda, he says warmly. Is Kevin still coming in at noon? He'd better be, Linda sniffs. He was out half the night with one of his friends who's home visiting from college. They'd better not have been doing anything that would prevent him from being able to pull himself out of bed at the crack of mid-morning in order to be at work on time. I'm sure they weren't, Linda. Kevin's a very responsible young man. As much as he likes Linda and admires her ferocity as a mother, Mama Bear doesn't come close to describing Linda Tran. She's more like an angry Mama Wolverine. Castiel worries that she's a little too hard on Kevin. From everything he's seen in the past two months he's worked here, Kevin is an incredibly dedicated son, student, and employee. He's not sure the boy even knows how to fail. Of course he is. My Kevin is a good boy. It's that Winchester boy I don't trust. His hair is too long. With hair like that, he's probably some irresponsible, pot-smoking, shiftless layabout. Frowning, Castiel is about to argue Linda's very unkind assumptions about men with long hair, when the image of Gabriel and his nearly chin-length locks comes to mind. He closes his mouth. Perhaps this isn't the point to argue, when he and Linda both know that her job could be on the line in a few months' time, thanks to a long-haired, only shifts after 9 a.m. layabout. Instead, he looks back down at his phone to continue his conversation with Dee. If you're willing to keep her a little longer, I can reach out to some of my other foster contacts in the rescue community, and I can set you up with a discounted veterinary clinic with professionals who volunteer their time after hours and on weekends to provide affordable preventative pet care. Of course, dude. I'll keep her until she's old enough to be adopted if I need to. I'm not going to let those assholes euthanize a fucking kitten. Figuring it's useless to point out to Dee yet again that those assholes are in fact doing the best they can with virtually non-existent resources and that euthanasia might be kinder than freezing to death or dying of starvation or dehydration on their own, Castiel instead focuses on the other part of his answer. I'm glad to hear you'll keep her a bit longer. I'll message you the vet information when I get home tonight. Thanks. I work from noon to nine tonight, but my brother will be here to look after the kitten. He won't be around come Monday, though. I have that day off, but I'll have to be back at work on Tuesday. Will she be all right on her own? If she's as old as I think she is, she should be. It's not ideal, of course since she would normally be surrounded by her littermates all day. But as long as she gets plenty of attention when you're home, she'll be fine. This is actually a very important time in her development for her to be socializing with humans. Yeah, dude. Don't think that'll be a problem. Furry little thing has been stuck to me like Velcro all day. She balls her head off if I try to put her back in her box. So we've been chilling and watching TV. Castiel shakes his head with a fond chuckle, suddenly not at all worried about the kitten's future. Hearing the now familiar and much-anticipated notification buzz of his smartphone, 
Dean reaches for it eagerly. What started with C.J. messaging him the information he'd promised for the pet clinic Saturday night had quickly turned into a conversation about the rest of Dean's and the kitten's day, which then morphed into a conversation about their evening plans, which quickly led to a good-natured argument about which is the better zombie movie, The Evil Dead or 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later introduced a new and terrifying zombie characteristic. Speed. Fast zombies, D. Fast zombies. What is more terrifying than that? Pfft. Return of the Living Dead had fast zombies, CJ. Return of the Living Dead is a horror comedy, D. It doesn't count. Says who? And besides, the Evil Dead has Bruce Campbell. Game over. What's so great about Bruce Campbell? He's Bruce fucking Campbell, that's what. Bruce Campbell is awesome. By this point, they've been messaging back and forth almost constantly for the past week. Dean supplying CJ with updates on the kitten's vet appointment and growth, and asking frantic kitten care questions. And CJ being his usual helpful self. Dean has mostly settled into his role as temporary cat owner, however so he needs less help in that area than he did in the beginning. Thanks to Dean sending Sam back to purrs and paws this time, the kitten now has her own bed, which she completely ignores in favor of sleeping and sitting wherever Dean is, collar, which she adamantly refuses to wear, food dish, that she actually uses, litter box, which she mostly uses, and cat toys though she definitely prefers leaping after the blind cords and doing battle with Dean's shoestrings. As such, interspersed with their dwindling kitten-centric Q&As are a growing number of conversations that have nothing to do with the kitten at all. They've even verged hesitantly into the realms of their personal lives, though Dean notices they both seem to be keeping the details as vague as possible. He supposes he can't blame CJ for being cautious, they're basically strangers, after all, and it's not like Dean's an open book. Of course, that's mostly because Dean's book is more dime-store comic than epic novel, but still. Smartphone in hand, Dean is smiling down at the heart-eye emoji CJ sent in response to his latest kitten pick, one of the kitten hiding in Dean's boot, when a new question occurs to him. I can't believe I haven't asked this yet, but how do you know so much about cats anyway? You a veterinarian or something? While he's waiting for CJ's reply, he suddenly feels tiny kitten claws and teeth latching on to his socked toes. Son of a bitch! He half shouts as the little orange fuzzball tries to wrestle with his foot. She's been getting much more playful over the past week, randomly attacking any body part left unprotected and jumping out at Dean from behind doors and under furniture solely, he's convinced, to scare the ever-living piss out of him. Come here, you, he grumbles, scooping up the squirming kitten and placing her on his chest where he's lying on the sofa, before reaching under the coffee table for her favorite toy, the string from the Omaha hoodie Dean had bought a year and a half ago when he dropped Sam off for freshman orientation. She's got an entire basketful of colorful cat toys, and yet this faded gray string is her favorite to play with. Dean thinks she's just rubbing it in. She'd finally won that string after a fierce two-day battle 
in which she would attempt to pull the string out of the hoodie before Dean noticed. Eventually, she'd pulled the damn thing out far enough that he couldn't get it back through the hole, and he'd decided she'd earned her prize. So the gray string became the spoils of war. Dangling the string in front of one of the kitten's batting paws, he picks his phone back up from the back of the sofa and reads CJ's reply, hoping to learn a bit more about the mysterious cat angel. No, I've thought about it once upon a time. I've always loved animals, but I let my father convince me to go into the family business instead. I get that. My old man wanted me to become a mechanic like him, but uh, that didn't work out. Dean doesn't mention the reason it didn't work out is because his dad drank and gambled away their profits and ended up losing his garage. Without thinking, he keeps typing. So I'm stuck working some dead-end bar job instead. It's not much, but it pays the bills. Feeling suddenly vulnerable at what is almost certainly an overshare, he tries to deflect attention back on to CJ. Hope your family business is treating you better than mine did. Given that I'm currently living on an air mattress in my older brother's living room, I'd say that's a hard no. He can't help but feel a sort of camaraderie with CJ when he reads the man's message. Dean might be the older brother, but this place still doesn't really feel like his. Dean's never really had a place of his own. Hell, he's never had much to call his own, period. It takes him a moment to respond to CJ, since the kitten has apparently realized that Dean's distracted by the glowy brick in front of his face and chooses that moment to pounce on the hand holding the string. God damn it, Dean hollers as kitten teeth sink into the tender space between his second and third knuckle. Not cool, he chides the kitten sternly, but it doesn't take him long to cave and start scratching her under the chin when she tilts her head at him in apparent puzzlement. Keeping the little orange terror distracted by scratchies, Dean manages to answer CJ. Don't feel too bad, man. My living arrangement ain't exactly stellar either. Only perk is that it's already paid off, and the bar job may not be my dream job, but it gets me by. I shouldn't complain. Looking around the shabby living room of his trailer, the only thing his dad left him when he finally drank himself to death, aside from his 1967 Impala, which is worth far more both in money and sentimentality, Dean half snorts. Ain't stellar is certainly one way of phrasing it. Mobile garbage heap would be another. The trailer, though still terribly worn and outdated, is clean and livable now, but the condition it was in when he first got here? Dean shudders as he remembers the mess of liquor bottles, rotten food, and general human filth he'd cleaned out of this place. In fact, if he'd had anywhere else to go, he would have just walked away from the thing. As it was, though, the debts his dad left behind alongside his two sons had claimed the garage that was their sole source of income. Thank God Sammy's smart as a damn whip and was able to get himself a full ride to Omaha. Dean, though, he certainly hadn't earned any scholarships. He barely made it through high school. He's still a little lost in thought when CJ's next message comes through. I'm sorry you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job, and everyone complains about their jobs sometimes, even people who love what they do. If it helps, while I'm not a veterinarian 
and what I'm doing now certainly wasn't ever my dream job. I find that I really do enjoy it. It's completely different from what I started out doing, and though I was nervous at first, I'm much better at it than I ever thought I would be. Dean's eyebrows lift in surprise. Sure, he doesn't know CJ overly well, even if they have been messaging almost nonstop for the past week. But from what Dean can tell so far, CJ's intelligent, well-spoken, and clearly very caring. It's hard to imagine him being terrible at anything. He wonders what had the guy so nervous. Why the nerves? Well, I used to work in an office, primarily with numbers. Very little human contact. I now work in the customer service industry, and even though I'm in management, there's still far more interaction with the customer than what I was previously accustomed to. After years of having no one to talk to but my spreadsheets, I was afraid that my people skills would be rusty. Dean's lips quirk up at the guy's adorable use of quotation marks. He doesn't even know what CJ looks like, and yet he can very clearly picture the man making air quotes around the words. Okay, maybe he can understand why his friend would have been nervous. Friend. Dean considers the word. Is that what they are? He tries to remember the last time he'd made a friend outside of work and comes up empty, which doesn't give him a very good frame of reference for judging his new relationship with the dorky internet stranger slash cat rescue angel slash apparent customer service manager. He can't help but be curious about CJ's job. Customer service could be anything from retail to high-end event coordinating to sex work to the roadhouse though Dean's fairly certain he would have noticed one of his co-workers making adorable, dorky air quotes in the middle of dinner shift. He can't deny, though, how much he's enjoyed talking with CJ these past few days. Dean hadn't realized just how lonely his days had grown in the time since Sam first left for school. He usually sulks for at least a full week after the kid goes back from a visit, but this time, between CJ and the kitten, He's not had time for even half of his usual brooding. Blinking, Dean pulls himself back to the conversation as he strokes a hand down the back of the now-sleeping kitten. But it turns out you like people? Surprisingly, yes. Even more surprisingly, they seem to like me, too. Somewhat bewildered, Dean frowns as he reads CJ's response. CJ's about the nicest guy he's ever met, and he's a great listener, well, reader. He lets Dean drone on and on about his day, his favorite movies, his music, and he even seems genuinely interested when he asks Dean questions. What's not to like? I don't find that very surprising. You're pretty easy to talk to. Thank you, Dee. You're easy to talk to as well. But I said all that to say it's not too late. If you ever get the chance to make a change and try for your dream job, you should go for it. My path to my current job certainly hasn't been easy, but I've been happier in the past two months doing what I do now than I was in the entire six years I spent in my previous career. Brother's air mattress aside, Dean adds a winking emoji at the end for good measure. Hoping CJ will take his jab about the air mattress as the light-hearted teasing it's meant to be, he holds his breath for a moment, 
wondering if he's offended his would-be, maybe new internet friend. Honestly, the air mattress is fine. It's his incessant shower singing that I really can't stand. I'm fairly certain he only does it to irritate me, too. There's simply no other reason for singing I Like Big Butts in the shower at 11.30 at night. Dean chortles, nearly dropping the phone on the purring furball's head as he types out a response. Sorry, dude. As an older brother, I can confirm that yes, that is 100% solely to irritate you. As CJ laments Dean's older brother status, Dean thinks about what he said. Not about his brother's obnoxious shower habits, but about his dream job. What even is Dean's dream job? For as long as he can remember, he's been pulled one way or another. Growing up to do whatever he wanted to do really never felt like a choice. He did the job in front of him and got on with it. For a while, that was his dad's garage. It had been John's dream to hand that garage over to Dean someday, and his old man wanted that so badly that Dean couldn't help but want to give it to him. So, he tried to make it his dream as well, but it never quite fit. If he's honest, he'd felt more relief than sadness when they'd lost the business to John's debt. Just because he loves working on the Impala his dad left him doesn't mean he likes playing Guess That Noise with some yuppie's import. After that, though, Dean wasn't left with any more choice than before. John was gone, the garage was gone, and someone had to put food on the table for him and Sam. Thankfully, Dean had been 19 when John died, which meant he was able to take guardianship of his younger brother. Despite Sam's protest to the contrary, 15 was too young to be contributing to household bills. So for a while, Dean had pulled doubles with Ellen at the roadhouse, and picked up some side work at John's old friend Bobby's salvage yard. Once Sam's combination of scholarships and student loans meant that his brother was pretty much provided for, he was able to drop one of the jobs. The flyer that has somehow migrated from his kitchen table to the coffee table, completely bypassing the trash can in between, pretty much spells out why Dean had chosen Harvell's Roadhouse over Singer Salvage. Giving the choice between something resembling his dad's old dream for him and a kitchen... Well, it hadn't been a hard choice. And C.J. was right. Even though it isn't his dream job, and even though he smells like a grease trap six days a week, Dean's still happier behind Ellen's grill than he ever was under the hood of any car that's not his own baby. Reaching carefully for the table so as not to disturb the sleeping kitten on his chest, Dean picks up the paper and reads it over again. Baking 101 Learn the basics of professional baking with local pastry chef Missouri Mosley. Suitable for novice or experienced home bakers who are looking to refine their skills or even turn their hobby into a career. With a sigh, he pulls up the web browser on his phone, grimacing as he imagines his little brother's shit-eating grin when he finds out that Dean signed up for the baking class after all. Maybe, though this is his chance to make a change. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. 
The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.